sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Uh, let's just go ahead and get right on back to the phone lines. And uh, Victor's up first. Good morning, Victor. Good morning, Bob. How you doing? I'm great. How about you? I'm doing all right. I just wish the wind wouldn't be blowing. Oh, be man. Field, you know? <laughs> <laughs> we can wish, but uh, right now I'm still being so thankful for that good rain. I'm I'm putting up with the wind and putting on an extra layer. Yes, sir. I guess so. I've got a question. Because I've got... Three quarters of uh, St. Augustine and a quarter of, I guess that's green clover, I believe. Okay. You know? Yeah. And the more I put fertilizer, I guess I'm feeding the clover, getting to a point almost almost half and half now. You know, how can I get rid of this clover? Well, first of all, the clover is talking to you. The clover is telling you that you have really hard-packed soil there. And the clover is expanding because it is better able to get its roots down into that packed soil than the St. Augustine is. Now, um, I would, you have a couple of choices. Uh, what I do with it is just mow it off. I just mow, mow, mow. Um, if you want to get rid of it, uh, this is a time of year when, when your St. Augustine is pretty much browned out with the frost. You can go in there and right. spray that clover with your orange oil and vinegar, and you'll burn the clover back uh, without hurting your St. Augustine or Bermuda or Zoysia or any of the other grasses because orange oil vinegar mix only you know, hits things that have green foliage on them. So this is a great time, you know, for getting rid of the dandelions, the winter grass, the clovers, all those, uh, the hembit, all those other things that sprout at this time of year. But if I were going to tell you one thing to do that will beat your clover back a great deal, that would be get uh, some good compost and put about a quarter to half an inch of compost over that area or over your whole yard if you're able to. And uh, it's just a lot of work. It's not terribly expensive, especially if you haul it yourself. But um, that uh, the thing that suppresses clover more than anything else that I've ever seen is that layer of compost. And um, it's, you know, you're slowly, the clover is loosening up your soil. And as the soil gets looser, then your St. Augustine will beat it back. But if you want to really speed up the process, in fact, if you want to do two things, you could go ahead and spray with your orange oil and vinegar, but then put that uh, thin layer of compost out to uh, help your St. Augustine be stronger and to soften the soil naturally. All the microbes in your compost are what really work at softening the soil and, um, you know, you've got uh, humic acids and things in there that just work almost instantly. So uh, that that would be my number one, well, my number one, number two suggestions. If you want to kill the clover back, the vinegar and orange oil, but uh, considering the fact that it's really helping to soften your soil, I would just tend to mow it off and put that layer of compost on it. I think you're going to find that you have much less of it next year. And how much, what's the uh, ratio as far as, you know, orange oil and vinegar? 
two ounces to a gallon of vinegar, two ounces of orange oil to a gallon of vinegar, and uh, get the strongest vinegar you can. If you're buying it at the grocery store, get the pickling vinegar, which is about uh, twice as strong as your regular vinegar. If you're buying it at a nursery or feed store, it will be more expensive, but you can get the 20% vinegar, which is about twice as strong as a pickling vinegar. So just uh, whatever is easy for you to find and uh, fits the budget. Okay. All right. Sounds great. Now, should I put this first and then wait a day or two before I put the combos? Or? No reason to wait. Uh, vinegar and orange oil will tend to burn things back literally within minutes. The warmer it is, I mean, when I'm spraying in the hot weather, if I'm going down my rows of my vegetable garden, spraying the weeds with that, by the time I get to the end of the row, I can look over my shoulder and back at the beginning of the row, the weeds are already starting to shrivel. So no reason to wait. Wow. All right. All right, Bob. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate your call. You get out and have a happy new year and it's good to hear from you, Victor. You do the same. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. Bye-bye. All right. Ignacio is next, and it'll be Joe and John. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Bob. Ignacio here. Yes, sir. Uh, you answered my first part of the question uh, with uh, the last call uh, <laughs> about the clover and the, and how to how to treat that. But uh, I had uh, the uh, jammer zoysia right. and the drought killed uh, probably 70% of it last summer. Okay. I wanted to seed. I didn't want to go with sod. I wanted to see, and I needed a recommendation of what you recommended as far as um, a replacement for that in, in a seed form. Well, something that can be really tolerant, and it's it's probably um, exposed to the sun most of the time. Okay, well that's that's a. And I have about a half acre. Yeah, that's a a good thing. Uh, because uh, of our seeded grasses, uh, there are things that will do much better in the sunnier spots. We don't really have a good grass all-season seed for shade for turf grass, but if you want something that's going to be a lot tougher, a lot more disease-resistant, uh, a lot more drought-tolerant, um, I would look at one of the Bermudas. There are a bunch of different good Bermudas out there. Now, it's the wrong time of year to be planting Bermuda seed. We're going to have to wait till it gets warmer in the spring. But uh, get with Douglas King Seed, and um, a, a lot of times, and I, gosh, it's been a year since I've needed anything from them, but uh, they frequently plant, they have these big uh, tubs that out front, they plant a bunch of their different seeds out there, and you can actually see the grasses. But uh, they're, if you want a low-growing Bermuda, there's one called Princess, uh, then there's Riviera, there's Blackjack, probably Blackjack is going to be the toughest and hardiest of all the grasses that you can plant from seed. And uh, it's very drought-tolerant. It may get brown when we get drought, but it does not die. It comes back with the first rain. So I'm guessing probably blackjack Bermuda would be what I would be planting when it warms up this spring. And when would it be a good time to plant it? You've got to wait till the soil is warm, and that is frequently April or so. Now you've still got time if you just if you want to have a green lawn in the winter, uh, you could get some of their uh, hound dog or rebel or one of their uh, uh, winter grasses, winter rye grasses that will germinate within a week or two, and you know be green all the way up until uh, early summer. If you just if you've got a mud issue with dogs or things like that, I'd think about overseeding with some rye. Otherwise, just um, you know, put a layer of compost out to improve the soil. And when the soil's warm, and I'll, I'll tell you when that is this spring, then I go over and be getting some of the good uh, Bermuda seed. And it's going to be very inexpensive compared to what you spent for Jammer's Oasia. It's probably going to cost you less than 5% of what you paid to get that uh, troublesome grass in there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bob. 
Always a pleasure. Happy New Year to you, and you call me whenever I can be of assistance. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ignacio. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, top of the board is Steve, and then it will be Joe, and then I've got a couple of open lines. Anybody wants to grab one? Good morning, Steve. Hey, good morning, Bob. Morning. Hey, i got a question for you. I've got a uh, one of those ranch-style fences, uh, probably about three sections, about eight feet, I guess, in between each section, looking for a hedge. To kind of do a privacy, and I know you like uh, the Zalosma, mm-hmm. but is there something to use in addition to that to kind of break up instead of so many Zalosmas? And uh, how much how much uh, sun do you have, and how tall does it need to get? Uh, about six to six feet would be good. Eight feet maybe better, and uh, half half a day sun. Okay, and is the half day sun that it gets morning or afternoon? afternoon okay um there are two or three different viburnums that you could use in there viburnum suspensum is the most deer proof and it's going to get to about six feet for you and it's a very very hardy plant i mean you go through somewhere like fair oaks it has a big deer problem it's about 80 percent of what people have planted for shrubs out there um I would think about planting, if you want some variety, there are a couple of tall-growing forms of what we call loripetalum, uh, the Chinese fringe flower, which has a purplish leaf. Uh, the one called burgundy blast is going to easily get to six feet, and it's going to give you pink flowers in the spring and purple foliage year-round, and that could be something pretty to mix in. Uh, if you wanted to mix in something that got a little taller but was deciduous, a uh, combination of uh, crepe myrtles and xylosma is a you know is a real nice combination. Um, you could do the same thing with mount laurel. I think mount laurel spotted in there. It's not going to be quite as fast growing or not nearly as fast growing, but it would give you a nice contrasting foliage and give you lots of fragrant purple flowers in the spring. Um, green pittosporum is always a good choice, but it's um, you know you're just going to have two green foliages side by side. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you wanted a little bit of contrast, it's not as high quality a plant, but uh, variegated privet, as long as you can keep it watered, it would be a beautiful choice, and it's going to be six, seven feet easily, and uh, it's you know it's a nice green and white combination. There is a plant called Abelia, A-B-E-L-I-A, and uh, there are a lot of compact forms, but the old standard Abelia, gosh, the ones in front of my house are easily six, seven feet tall. And uh, it blooms white pretty much all summer long, and that would be uh, a real nice contrast that you could plant along with your evergreens. Ah, got me some good good choices there. I, I can, you know, there's still others that we could talk about, but uh, even your old Japanese boxwood, I mean, it's common, but it's common because it's so easily grown. Uh, the newer forms are aiming at more dwarf forms, but the old Japanese boxwood, I mean, when I moved out to my place in the country, the ones that had been in front of the house for 50 years at that point, they were easily seven to eight feet tall. It took me a little work to get them back down to a manageable size, but uh, that's, you know, good and hardy. And um, the Pride of Houston Yopon Holly, if you'd like something that has a a different, smaller leaf and gives you the, beautiful, the benefit of beautiful red berries, uh, yeah. look for the variety called Pride of Houston. It's going to be... Oh, gosh, we may have one at the nursery. We turned into a tree that's probably 12 or 15 feet tall. But um, it would be a beautiful contrast uh, with its uh, red berries all winter. 
And how far apart in general would you plant them? Um, most of these things, if I'm looking for a dense hedge, it's going to be three to four feet on center. Okay. Okay. Good, good. And another question I've got a, along the other side of the, the fence. It's my property, again, it slopes from north to south, and the folks in the north side of me, they have a wandering Jew that kind of keeps wandering under the fence in my yard. <laughs> right. Uh, I didn't think it grew that fast, but I pulled it up, and, man, it just grew back. Is there something I can do to prevent it from coming through under the fence? Well, it doesn't have real deep underground runners, so if you really want to stop it, you can get out there with a grub and hoe, dig about a six-inch deep trench along there, and uh, just talk to a roofing company and get some of their galvanized flashing. And, uh, you know, just, uh, what is your fence, wood or metal? It's, it's a, this side center of the fence is a wood picket. Okay, then you could, you know, dig, you, you can get six-inch wide flashing. You could even do a double thickness of it for a little bit, uh, you know, more durability. And you could nail that to the bottom of the fence boards where it wouldn't show. Backfill there, and nobody's really going to know it's there, but it will... If not totally eliminate, it will really cut down on the amount of that uh, uh, type of wandering shoe that just tends to wander a little bit too much. It's pretty if it were to stay where it's at, but yeah. it, it tends to go over <laughs> to the garden. As they say, give it an inch and it'll take a yard. Yes. All right. Well, that's all the questions I had today. Uh, thank you very much, and uh, have a happy new year. Well, thank you so much, and you do the same, Steve. Appreciate the call. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. All right, let's uh, go back to the phone lines. We're going to talk to Joe, and Joe's actually the only person I've got holding. If you've been getting a busy signal, the lines have pretty much all been busy off and on, but it'll be a real good time to dial 210-599-5555. And I will repeat once again, I know so many people, including me, look forward to our visit with the Dirt Doctor at 8 o'clock on Saturdays, but uh, Howard's not available today, so we will just be taking phone calls right straight up until the 9 o'clock hour today. So right now, I push that button and say good morning joe good morning bob how you doing i'm great how are you today wonderful i love your show hey i live out in the bernie area and i have a three-year-old zoysia lawn that's been very healthy and it's been it's been a it's a great lawn but about four weeks ago i noticed some of my blades on the grass were getting rust like a rust colored on them i wouldn't ideas what that might be uh and and is which which type of zoysia is this is it a narrow leaf or a broad leaf? I'd, I'd say narrow. Okay, then that's a good thing. I'm not fond jammers to broad leaf soy, and I don't like it. It's very disease susceptible, but you probably have either El Toro or Emerald, and I think you're just looking at what it does this time of year. It's probably totally browned out by now. Um, I mean, everything in my yard's brown. I live just west of Bernie, and it's totally normal. That's correct. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I don't think it's anything to be concerned about. Uh, obviously, we had over the past week probably close to two inches of rain, so you're set for at least another two or three weeks before you think need to think about watering. How long has it been since you fertilized? Uh, I, I usually do. I think I think I do, whatever you tell me, like October and. Uh, <laughs> 
and maybe uh, March. Okay. Well, it's uh, if you want to give it a real head start on spring, you can go ahead and put some fertilizer on now. It doesn't. You're not going to see any change until it warms up. But uh, it's a good time to put out your uh, your fertilizer and just same thing you use any other time. And if you want to put a thin layer of compost on it, it will come out all that much stronger and be even more drought tolerant. But if you don't want to do a thing, you don't have to. You're you're just looking at wintertime with soysia and uh, that reddish brown, I think, is just into the season. I don't see any problem at all with that. You're out in the sun. Your grass is doing well. I um you know there's nothing that requires your immediate attention but if you need an excuse to get out in the yard a little fertilizer a little bit of compost would be a good idea i don't need any excuses thank you <laughs> well then you just find something else to worry about and you're always just going to take care of itself thank you sir always a pleasure joe thank you for the call <laughs> goodbye Bye. All right, we're going to talk to Joey and Mike, and uh, Joey is up next. Now, see, wasn't that a nice brief wait to get on the air? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> what can I do for you today? Oh, good morning, Bob. Say, um, I've got a uh, and it's an orange tree. It's not really orange. It's a cara cara or blood orange. Okay. You're familiar with that? Yeah. And uh, about three years ago, I planted it. Uh, last year, the deer mowed it down. Yeah. And now I've potted it, took it out of the soil, potted it, came back this year, had four really nice oranges on it, still really small, and I have one branch coming out that has like a leaf with three three prongs to it, okay. and all the other leaves are just normal. Yep. Is I, that off the rootstock? Or? I, yeah, I suspect that's off the rootstock. Does that branch have some uh, pretty wicked thorns on it, too? Yes, it does. Yeah, you need to get that off. That is definitely coming off the rootstock. And the okay. problem is the rootstock is more vigorous than your scion, your part that's grafted on there. And if you don't cut off the root sprouts, it will eventually take over and you will have nothing left of your blood orange. Now, I will tell okay. you that uh, that orange is not as cold hardy as the Satsumas and some of the others. If uh, we do have especially raised up in a pot, that's a good way to grow them, and that'll that'll work just fine. But when you raise something up in a pot, you make it more susceptible to freeze damage. So uh, I think you're going to be doing either some covering or some dragging it in inside in the month to come. But right now, the only thing I'm going to tell you to do is just get off any of that uh, odd the the portion the branches that have that odd foliage and the bigger thorns because that's oh. your trifoliate orange rootstock and trifoliate you described it perfectly with those three lobes yes sir hello yeah i'm hello. right here yeah okay i lost you for a minute there i'm in a bad area um how big will that bush grow now will it you know as a tree they say they got up 10 15 feet tall is that yeah, it's in a pot, you will naturally stunt it a little bit. You'll naturally dwarf it a little bit. But if it's a big pot, it can still easily do six or seven feet. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was planning on transplanting it back uh, this fall, but uh, I mean this winter coming, but I wasn't sure. Um, also, I just laid down in November some El Toro Zoiza. Yes, sir. Sod. Uh-huh. How often should I water that? Um, so it's only been down, what, a month or six weeks? Yeah, about six weeks. Okay. Um, I would be watering it. If we don't get rain, I'd be giving it water once a week or so. Since it's browned out, it's not using as much water. I mean, people think water evaporates. Actually, the majority 
of where the water goes is taken up by the plant and then lost out through the leaves, which is called transpiration. And once it browns out for the winter, transpiration stops. So you don't have to water nearly as often. Um, I'd, I'd say every two to three weeks if we don't get a good rain. Now, the kind of rain they're talking about for the next couple of days is just kind of a drizzle, and that doesn't really count. We got a good rain uh, this past week. So I, I'd, I'd put on the calendar for about another three weeks. Okay, well, and now on that orange tree, um, if I transplant back into the ground, uh, covering it now while it's small, when it gets, you know, several years older and it gets a better uh, trunk on it, just wrap the trunk or cover the whole thing or keep trying to cover the whole thing? (laughs) Cover the parts you don't want to freeze. (laughs) Yes, sir. Okay. But I think you're wise. Keep it in the pot for this winter because you can move that pot inside. And I just don't know what January is going to throw at us. There are a lot of experts say it may be pretty chilly at times uh so i'd I'd probably wait till mid to late february then get it back in the ground and put something uh, you know around it to protect it from the deer uh if i were doing it what i'd probably do is go to a uh good uh old feed store for lack of a better word farm and ranch store uh get yourself a piece of that five foot uh hog wire or yes, they, yeah, and you know, cut it in four pieces, which is going to give you four four foot pieces. Just make yourself a big square and uh, tie those things, um, you know, at the corners, and you'll create a real nice little cage to put around that thing. And yet, you can still reach through it to pull weeds or pick fruit or whatever you need to do. Okay, Bob. Thank you, sir. I appreciate your help. Always a pleasure. Good to talk to you. Thank you, sir. Yes. <laughs> Bye. All right, let's get back to gardening and to the phone lines. And good morning, Mike. Hey, Bob. Good morning. Uh, nope. Got the music still going. Uh, <laughs> I can hear you now. Uh, it's corn water wash. I'm using it on my oak trees. Uh-huh. And is that going to, if I use it on something else like Sago or uh, Bird of Paradise, is that going to do the same thing for him? Well, of course, what you're doing with your corn water is growing about 15 different species of a beneficial fungus called trichoderma. Trichoderma will take care of a lot of different problems. I can't tell you it's going to get every single thing that could possibly be in the soil, but the majority of our root diseases are well controlled uh, by your trichoderma, so it's going to benefit you know, anything you put it on in the case of, uh, you know, the oaks where we're trying to stop the oak wilt, it may truly be life-saving. And of course that disease doesn't hit your esperons or, or really for that matter, much of anything other than red oaks and live oaks. So, uh, whether you have the same degree of, you know, good effect, well, some of those others probably don't really need it, but you're certainly not going to hurt anything with it. Yeah, I figured that. I'm, I'm just curious. I'm, and uh, excuse the the voice. I contracted something from my patients. I love the way this time of year is. Anyway, <laughs> and everybody's uh, eating so much sugar at the holidays. You're sure your immune system's knocked down to nothing, and and people wonder why they get the cold and flu. But anyway, hope you get beyond that in a hurry. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it'll take care of itself. It, it's it, it's the eight eight and ten hour shifts that are killing me. So anyway. Um, <laughs> That's that's fine, uh, and I'm just I'm just curious. Uh, Christmas cactus, um, I've you know, it, it's my it's my bane as far as this goes. I've been trying it for years. Does that like uh, light soil or or is it just just anything that you know it'll perk up? I, I don't I don't seem to have any luck after about six months. 
Well, a couple of things about Christmas cacti is uh, they have nothing in common with desert cacti. They don't ever want to dry out. They want real bright light. They want good, even moisture. Uh, Most of the times I see problems with Christmas cacti, it's either because uh, uh, they don't get enough light or they don't get enough water. Um, if they're in the dark, of course, you know, then they sometimes stay, stay too wet because, uh, you know, light is the energy that draws water through, through plants in the form of transpiration. But, uh, um, I'm going to tell you feed more, probably water more and indoors, it would be impossible to give a Christmas cactus too much light. Okay. That makes, that, that makes sense too. Cause I've been noticing as long as I leave it by the window, they, they seem to put out a couple extra blooms so. well and you know it's uh um uh 24 7 the more light you can give it the better it's going to do they are seasonal the things we call christmas cacti or what are called zygocactus which tend to bloom normally in december but there is a whole big family of closely related plants uh, epiphyllum is what they are called and uh, if you really are attracted to christmas cacti you can have things that'll bloom literally from mid-fall all the way into the summer months, some of them with, you know, blooms that are four times as big as Christmas cactus flowers. So uh, lots of things in that family of uh, plants that are really fun and easy to grow. But uh, none of them are cold-hardy. All of them pretty much have to come inside for the winter months. But, man, you can you can, you can build a whole hobby just around Christmas cactus and its relatives. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm, I'm down here in Corpus area, so we don't yeah. worry too much about freezing. <laughs> you better knock on wood when you say that. I, I've known times, not often, but uh, there's been ice on the bay out there. And when saltwater freezes, you know it's really cold. So uh, oh, yeah. hopefully you won't see that again for quite a long time. No, hopefully not. One last thing. Uh, I've got papyrus. Um, what's the longevity on that stuff? Is it? I mean, I, I've had this thing for going on 15 years you know it's it is just an ever expanding it's actually a rush it's not a grass uh do you have the curly papyrus or do you have the upright one uh do you have the real tall one there's one called king tut that gets maybe six seven feet tall then there's a little more compact one and then there's uh one that has totally different structure which one do you have this this thing it stays it doesn't ever get more than about a foot tall Okay. It's in a, it's in water 24/7 365 days out of the year and it's uh it looks like uh little firecrackers going off. Okay. Um you know, it it's it, it just it's an ever expanding plant. It grows uh with a it's a very short rhizome that it puts out from the base and although the individual little sprout that comes up probably is not going to last more than a year, you know, that comp could last 100 or 200 years. It's it's not going to die of old age on you. Yeah, it makes sense because I, I, I leave it in a 12-inch pot, and it just it never, I mean, they just come up and they just die, but I mean, but it doesn't. doesn't yeah, about every, about every three years, pull it out of the pot, chop it in four pieces, and replant it, and uh, it'll keep on going for a long, long time for you. Excellent. Well, don't want to hold up anybody else, so you answered all the questions. <laughs> it's uh, Happy New Year to you, and uh, get your voice back sometime soon so you'll so you'll enjoy life even more. It's good to talk to you, Mike. Thanks for the Thank call. You. Certainly. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right. It's going to be Dave and then Betty Lou. Good morning, Dave. Hey, good morning, Bob. Happy New Year. And to you as well, sir. 
Thank you. I heard you and Howard talking last week about hydrogen peroxide, and he mentioned a place where he was getting his at a really good discount, and I don't recall what it was. Do you remember? He simply uh, said it was a pool supply. Pool and, supply, yeah. okay. And I'll tell you another place uh, that you can uh, that surprises me, and I'm not sure exactly why they would uh, be carrying it, but some of your health food stores carry it. Here in uh, this area, I know they uh, keep it out at uh, at uh, Water Garden Gems, and they're they're closed until the day after New Year's. They they close this week every year, but I know they've been keeping the the more concentrated form of it in stock over there. So those are a few more places for you to try. Okay, I do know it has some health benefits. I certainly appreciate that. Thanks, Bob. And what are you what are you using it for? Oh, use it for viruses uh, on, you know, like fruit trees or bacteria growth, and sometimes my tomatoes, they get a little splotchy. Sure. Well, keep in mind that this more concentrated form is caustic. You do need to handle it with care. The, you know, 1% that we get at the drugstores or grocery stores is that, uh, I don't know, that's all my dermatologist recommends where you've had little minor surgeries or whatever. He says it's the best disinfectant out there. But where you're buying the more concentrated form, you will need to, you know, wear protective gloves and eyewear to handle the stuff. It's it's a big savings dollar-wise, but uh, it's not the same not the same gentle stuff that you can splash all over the place. So uh, just be careful with it. But yeah, it's out there, and uh, I just shop for a price because H2O2 is H2O2 regardless of uh, of what the brand on the front of it is. Yeah, it it will burn you. It uh, it'll turn your your skin kind of a white. Right. color as it uh, yeah it's kind of weird but thanks a lot <laughs> it's my pleasure thanks for the call <laughs> Go on. sounds like he's uh like that will rogers good judgment comes mainly from experience which comes mainly from bad judgment yeah if you're going to get the concentrated hydroxide the hydrogen peroxide uh be very very careful with it all right let's get back to gardening it's going to be betty lou and then it's going to be john and sid and uh betty lou's first good morning Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, I just want to say real quick that I'm out walking, and it's kind of breezy, so if the breeze is noisy and problematic, I will hang up gladly. No, you're, you're, you're fine. Time. You're doing fine. I, I don't hear the wind at all. You must be walking a good direction. Well, if it happens, just say, Lou, call us back, and I will. <laughs> all right. Okay. So I have three quick questions about three different kinds of plants. Um, first is poinsettias. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought two uh, for a fundraiser with one of my nieces recently, two um, pink poinsettias. And when I got them, um, they were like almost falling over in their little pots. They needed to be replanted. They needed more soil or something. So I put them in, um, I took them out of their plastic pots and uh, I put them in some fresh potting soil in taller pots that are terracotta. Okay. And I watered them, and then I put them on the front porch. My front porch faces north northwest, okay. and is covered, so there's no direct sunlight you know, right on them, but they're facing north northwest, and they seem to be doing well. That was about two weeks ago, and they're looking really good. Um, but I have these other two that I've had for several years, and um, they're growing up like little miniature trees. Uh, both in, one is in a, in a ceramic uh, clay pot, 
and the other one is in a uh, clay pot. They're both in clay pots. But they're growing tall. The um, the trunks, if you will, are kind of windy. Mm-hmm. They're really kind of pretty. The leaves are really small. Uh, they're not red or big leaves anymore. They're these little green leaves, and the the um, the stems come out kind of red, but the okay. leaves come out green. Okay, the well, two, a couple two. weeks ago, those are on my front porch, too. Uh-huh. And so um, I took them out of the house because I was worried about turning on the heat and it bothering them. So I thought, well, they must like cold air. So I put them on the front porch, too. And the wind came a few weeks ago and really got them. Um, so I'm wondering how to best care for all those poinsettias so I can keep them. Okay, first of all, your new plants this year, uh, the growers spray them with a growth retardant to keep them nice and short and compact, and they're going to grow out of that. So uh, next year, they're going to be much taller, and uh, they're not going to be quite such neat plants. Poinsettias do not like cold weather. They don't like drafts, either hot or cold, but they, they love it hot. And so, um, and, and they need more light than they're getting now. They'll do a fine for a while in that lower light, but uh, the more direct sun you can give them throughout the year, the more sturdy the plants are going to be, the more compact they will stay because sunlight is a natural dwarfing agent, but all these all these uh, plants you have are going to want to get to be four or five feet tall. And um, okay. so if you want them to color up, in the this time of year the thing that creates the color in poinsettias be they white pink red or any of the multitude of new multicolored ones out there it's having long nights and short days the poinsettia has a little built-in light meter that tells it how long and how short the days are and you cannot miss one single day of having long nights or really mess up their their flowering as it were if you have them in a spot where they get no artificial light at night at all they'll always bloom right on time but if you have them indoors to protect them from freezing weather or whatever every single day you've got to put them into a closet or a dark place about five in the afternoon bring them back out the next morning seven or eight o'clock but is that continuous six-week period of long nights and short days that's what throws them into their flowering phase and then once those they're actually bracts they're modified leaves once they start to color up then you can forget about the day-night cycle at all. But but to get them to produce what we think of as blooms that are actually the colored leaves, it's that uh, long night, short day cycle is what creates, is what stimulates them to do that. But as far as growth, regular houseplant food has to grow, whatever, lots and lots of sunlight um, outside through all the warm months. They'll be much happier outside than in your home, but uh, they they don't like cold wind. Oh wow! I did not know that. <laughs> That's I've what I'm here for. They like. I also heard to put ice cubes in the soil at the top of the soil. The water room versus water. Is that true? That keeps less water from running out the bottom of the pot and damaging your furniture or your floor. But uh, it's no better for the plants. It's just a uh, a way to uh, be sure that most all the water gets absorbed rather than uh, than uh, getting excessive water in the environment, shall we say? Okay, thank you. The cold doesn't all benefit right. them in any way. Okay, that's good to know. 
Okay, so second question has to do, I asked you before, but this is a follow-on question. I have a um, peach tree. It looks more like a peach bush. Mm-hmm, which is good. <laughs> um, I don't know. Oh, good. Um, so I grew it in a pot for like 10 years from a seed that just started growing out of a empty pot with soil in it, and there uh-huh. it was. So I just tended it, and then this summer I put it in the ground, and it's probably about three and a half feet tall, and it's... Um, when it was young, uh, in a pot, a few years ago, I uh, pruned it and I made mistakes, <laughs> and I didn't know what I was doing. But it's surviving, and it's very bushy, lots mm-hmm. and lots of uh, limbs. Uh, it's in the ground, and I water it uh, for a while, every two or three weeks now, to keep the roots healthy and watered. Um, so... Uh, is that okay that it's bushy? Yeah, it's a, a a bush will always produce more fruit than a tree will. Uh, here's the thing with peaches: peaches don't measure day length; they measure how many hours of weather we have every winter below 45 degrees. Nobody knows where that peach pit came from. If it was from a Fredericksburg peach, it'll probably never bloom and produce fruit because Fredericksburg peach varieties take 1,000, 1,200 chilling hours, and we only get about 600 on average here in San Antonio. If it's uh, one that came out of southern Georgia, it might be a low-chilling peach, and it might bloom but then freeze back before it produces fruit. So um, no guarantees how that tree is going to do because peaches um there are only a handful of varieties that will grow well in any one area and so we have to uh choose uh for san antonio peaches somewhere in the 550 to 700 hour chilling range and since we have no idea what yours is it's just going to be wait and see as to whether it flowers Mm -hmm. and produces fruit but that's uh that's mm-hmm. something only time will tell. With regard to watering that peach tree or oh. any trees during the winter, what is your advice? Well, in a pot, it's going to be just as it would with any other pot plant. It's going to be water thoroughly when the soil's dry on the surface, and that's going to be every two or three days. And if we have wind, it will dry up more quickly. If we have very bright sun, it will dry up more quickly. So pretty much have to treat anything in containers like a house plant. Things that are planted in the ground will need very little additional water. Things that are newly planted may need a little bit more water, but shade trees and things like that probably don't need to be watered a single time over the winter months. Grass and things like that probably should be watered every two to three weeks if we don't get good rainfall. But things that you have up in containers, yeah, they're going to need to be watered not quite as often, but almost as often as they would any other time of year. Okay, great. Third question has to do with oak trees. I have two uh, very tall, very mature oak trees, one in the front yard and one in the backyard. And um, when I moved into this house, it was in, uh, I don't know, late summer when they came out and I had them trimmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had not been pruned or trimmed for a long time. Now, I asked the tree trimmers, I said, I have heard that you need to um, uh, paste over with something on the tips of the branches that you trim off to prevent any uh, like oat wilt disease or whatever. And they told me that they do not do that with little limbs that they just trim off that are like hanging and, you know, kind of, uh, they're just, just little, down. They, they're just lying yeah, SOBs. They're just lying. Sorry, people that should be run out of the business. You can get oak wilt okay, into so this. They did not. Yeah, it was 
You want me to tell you who it was? <laughs> <laughs> well, don't ever hire him again. That's the that's the main thing. Well, what do I do about my tree? Pray. You know, it the chances Aww. of getting the chances of getting oak wilt are low uh, in any situation. But it's like, do you want to play Russian roulette? I don't. <laughs> you know, if I had a gun but that I had a hundred cylinders in it, I still people. wouldn't. Yeah. Oh. But uh, um, now the truth of the matter is that live oaks and red oaks, yes, you need to seal every wound every time. Uh, other oaks like your Monterey oak, your Burr oak, your uh, Schum- uh not your Schumard, but your uh, oh gosh, the uh, you know the things like um, the Lacey's oak. Uh, the shin oaks, all of those, those trees are in a different part of the oak family, and they rarely, if ever, have problems with oak wilt. So the only thing we're worried about are red oaks and live oaks, but uh, they, you do need to seal the wounds regardless of how big or small. It doesn't have to be pruning paint. Anything that seals them for about, seals wounds for about 10 days uh, will be... Is it too late? Is it too late to go back and and see them now? And when did, when did they prune? When, huh? when when did they cut the trees? Late summer. Oh yeah, no I that. Was, I, I want to say July, July, yeah. August. It no, was after but, you know. I think it what is it? February to June. You don't touch those trees. You can then, you uh, can July, prune them. You can prune them any. You can prune. Yeah. Again, that's again misinformation. You can prune your oh. your trees 365 days a year. But regardless of when you do it, um, the wounds need to be sealed. I guess the good news is that if you had a whole quilt, you might be seeing some signs of it by now. So you probably got lucky this time. But uh, don't ever call that company back. And um, if you're okay. in uh, in one of these uh, little areas like, uh, oh, gosh, uh, Hill Country Village or some of the other little birds. I mean, Stone Oak Park. Yeah. Stone Oak. Well, you just put the word out that uh, this particular company's a lousy tree trimmer. Don't use them. Thank you. (laughs) You're sure welcome. Well, I want to wish you uh, a very happy new year. Here it is almost. So happy, healthy, prosperous new year to you and your family. to you and your family as well, both two-legged and four-legged. We want everybody (laughs) to have a good new year. Uh, Thank you. You're sure welcome. Thank you. Bye.